Thank you for joining us on the Waymaker Church podcast today. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and makes a way for the new and deeper with Jesus Christ in your life. Enjoy. Today, we start a series called Thrive at Work. And I know those of us are here today are like, man, I would love to see revival happen in our land, in our nation. I would love to see an awakening of the kingdom of God. And, and I think part of you, you know, wants to see that happen, not only in your lifetime, but in the next season. And, and some of the things that we sing about and some of the things that we, we cheer on even today is, are the embers of that. But one of the things that we're gonna look at over the next four weeks is revival is going to happen first and foremost in you and me. And most likely it's gonna start in the place that we spend most of our waking hours. And that is our workplace. And so we're gonna look today at what is a theology of work. And when I say work, I mean a job and I mean labor. So all three of those words are gonna kind of interchange throughout the series, our work, our job, our labor. Uh, sometimes our labor isn't necessarily our job. It's just something that we're doing like myself yesterday, mowing the yard. I was in labor, but not that kind of labor. <laughs> Didn't think about how that sounded. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna talk about this throughout the next four weeks and you can kind of get a preview behind me of what this looks like. I, I wanna jump in here. What we do Monday through Friday, what we do Monday through Friday um, matters to God and changes the world. And, and we don't mean change the world in some idealistic way. We mean literally in the daily. Like we can, every day that we make decisions, every interaction that we have, we can change the world in our workplace, in our labor, in our job. Now, this brings us to a question that we're gonna, we're gonna ask, and that is, why does our job matter to God? Like, why does this area of my life that so often I just relegate to paying the bills, you know, or, or something I have to go do to survive, why does it actually matter to God? Why does it matter to our neighbors? And I'm not just talking about the person that lives next door to you. I'm talking about the people in our circles of influence, the, the acquaintances, the, the public relationships, all the way to even the people sitting beside you. And then why does it matter to the nations? Why, why, why does me getting up on a Monday and going into the marketplace, the workplace, uh, or, or even just going to get educated or trained to do something, why does that matter to God? Why does it matter to, to my neighbor? Why does it matter to the nations? And we're gonna look at that. And I want us to go to Mark chapter 12, the gospel of Mark chapter 12. We're gonna look at something called the great commandment, the great commandment. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. I do wanna go ahead and say this, okay? Cause some of you are gonna be like, are you saying that all work is created equal? And, and I'm not saying that. I had a, a gentleman ask me this past year if I would come and anoint his marijuana farm. Oh, okay, okay. So um, I, I said, um, let, let, let me pray about that. No, 
but I'll pray for you, okay? So if any of you are just like, well, what if it's this and it's what? I'm talking about legal, ethical, and God-honoring work, okay? So if you're wondering, if you're wondering, if you're gonna send me an email like, well, how about this? Just, just is, it, is it legal? Is it ethical? Is it God-honoring? That's the kind of labor, that's kind of the work we're talking about today. So I wanna get that out there so that nobody gets stuck in some vortex of thinking, okay? The great commandment. Jesus is asked one day, hey, basically, where are you coming from as a rabbi? What, how do you see the whole of scripture and, and what God is up to and what God wants from us as, as his people? Mark chapter 12, he says this, and, and, and this is his reply. Jesus replied, the most important commandment, the great commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. So he's quoting Deuteronomy. He's going back to uh, the, the Torah and he's pulling forth uh, what his Jewish audience would be so familiar with. And he says, I I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what it is in the most simplified form. And that is this, and he, and he continues. He says, and you must love the Lord your God Okay, so how, how am I supposed to love him? With all of your heart. So what does that mean? It, it means with how we emote, how we feel, literally our emotions. We love God with our heart, with our soul. What is that? With our convictions, with our virtue, ultimately with our character, that we would love God with our emotions, with our character, all of your mind, with our thoughts, that we would transform over a lifetime through the Holy Spirit, even the way that we think, the way that we think about ourselves, the way we think about others, the way we think about God, the way we think about the world in which we live. And, and here's the big one, all of our strength. What, what does that mean? It literally means the actions of our body, our vitality, our labor, our work, how we physically hold space, that we would love God with all of that. That, that, that we, we don't just love God when we come in here and we sing worship songs and say, okay, let me recenter. Um, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay, why, why do we sing worship songs? We sing worship songs because it is one of the simplest ways that we can posture ourselves to say, okay, this world and this life is not about me. It's not about me. So we just sang that, but what happens? We're all gonna walk out of here and tomorrow we're gonna go to a, a job. We're gonna go to a workplace. We're gonna go to a job site. Whether we're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, whether we're a CEO or a stay-at-home parent, whatever, what Jesus says is, if you're gonna be my disciple, if you, if you wanna know what the great commandment is, it's to take your emotions, your convictions, your character, your thoughts, and ultimately the work of your hands and, and make it a love letter to God. Hmm, okay, so how do we do that? And this is what he says. 
And the second one, this is, this is big, next, next verse. The second is equally important. So what does he do? He says, this is, this is important, but the next one is equal. It's parallel, it's parallel. So he says, love your neighbor, there's that word again, love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. He says, okay, you wanna know? You wanna know what this is all about? You wanna know what the kingdom of God is about? You wanna know what, what ultimately your calling in life is, is to love God, which we, we talked about with all of these elements in our life, and then to carry that into expressing it in relationships every day. Our human relationships, we just finished a series in the last few weeks called People Problems, because we got them, right? If you weren't here for that, go stream it, go download it, People Problems. How do we love God most practically? We take our thoughts, our feelings, our convictions, our character, and the work of our hands, and we love the people in our life with them. And God smiles and says this. Last night was my son Chase's 19th birthday. He's still hanging on to the teens. Yes, yes, yes. Now, th th this, was, this was really cool because we, we were sitting around the table and we were saying, you know, what we love about him and... Uh, one thing, his, his brother speaks up and he says, hey, you know, I just want you to know, I love you, uh, you're, you're my best friend, I love to get to, and they work together and, and, and he just goes on and he just talks about how his brother Chase is his best friend. And, and I remember them growing up and that's not always the case. It wasn't always, that their, their, you know, 11 and 13 version of each other was not going to say that. They're, they're even 14 and 16, may, may not have said that, but now here they are, 19 and 21, and, and my oldest son says to my youngest son, you're my, you're my best friend. And as a father, as a father, that means so much. When your kids love each other and show that and say that, where does that come from? It comes from our heavenly father. And those of you who are parents know exactly, when you see your children sacrificing for each other, when you see them loving each other, when you see them cheering each other on, instead of pushing each other away, instead of being jealous, instead of, you fill in the blank. There's something in us as parents, it's the image of God in us. And so when we, people who, love and follow Jesus, people who believe and follow Jesus, when we love our brother and sister in Christ sacrificially and lovingly with our emotions, with our character, with our heart, with the work of our hands, then it makes God smile. It makes him proud of us. He sees that and he says, okay, you get it. You are living in the greatest command. You love me by how you love and serve one another. And where are we going to do that the most, right? We're gonna do that the most in our waking hours in our workplace. Some of you are managers, your owners, your clerks, your employees, your staff members. I could keep going 
and how you and I show up in that space and in those places is one of the greatest ways that we will love. Now, before we get to the fullness of this calling, we, we have to go from the great commandment to what is called the great commission. Now, if you've been in church for, for a few years, you know what the great commission is. If you're new to church, you're getting ready to find out. If you don't believe and follow Jesus, I'm glad that you're here today and I hope that you'll stay through this whole series because this is what you will lean into and go, do I wanna sign up for this? And I believe you will. I believe you will. I believe you'll go, man, this is a compelling view of life. I've, I've never heard this before. I never knew that this is really, like when I watch TV, I see a version of Christianity that just doesn't parallel with what I actually see in the people. I see this character, characterization of Jesus and the church that, man, when I actually interact with people who, who genuinely and sincerely are following after Jesus, it is something that's very compelling to me. And I hope that you see this today all the way down to how we show up at work. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven and he gives his disciples this command. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So I am authorized by God to give you this command. And here it is, let's go. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities is really how that's translated. All ethnicities, not, not, not boundaries that we put up, you know, in geography, but all ethnicities, baptizing them. Why do we every week, in fact, in the second service, we're going to baptize some people. Why do we dunk people under the water, right? Like if you're new to church, you're like, what? is this what do they do why are they trying to drown that guy we're not trying to drown anybody what we're doing is we are living out a command that jesus himself followed baptizing it is the it is the symbol of going under the water the death of our old life and the resurrection into a new life in christ what jesus says is hey if you're going to follow me here's what i want you to do I want you to live out the great commandment and I want you to go make disciples. I want you to go teach other people how to do this. I want you, I want you, I want your life to look like this. And you, you, you see people get into the tank, our baptism tank, and, and you're like, I wonder who that person is. I don't think they're a pastor. Like, what, what, what's that? And usually it's a spouse or it's a small group leader or it's somebody who has been instrumental in the spiritual journey of that person. Well, what are we doing there? Well, we're living out this command. Hey, you baptize them. Baptize them. And how, and, and how do you baptize them? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We just sang three songs this morning and every single one of them talked about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is three in one. Now I could go a long time on that, but I'm gonna keep moving. What does it say next? He says this, and teaching them. What does that mean? Does that mean we, we stand up and we have a, a, a lectern and we're saying, 
hey, you're, um, you're somebody in my life that I am discipling, and so have a seat. I'm going to... T-. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's sitting across the table and saying, hey, let me share with you what it looks like to obey Jesus. What, what does it look like? Okay, so, so can I tell you about his greatest commandment? His greatest commandment is this, that you would love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. So let's start right there. And that you and I, you and me, our calling in life, what's the will of God? I don't know what he wants. Yeah, you do. He wants you to love him, and he wants you to love your neighbor, and then he wants you to go make disciples and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here's the promise, this is big, this is big. Surely, Jesus says, I am with you always, Always, no matter what's going on in culture, no matter what Bud Light is doing. Too soon? Okay, anyway. No, no, no matter who's the president, no, no, no matter who wins the Super Bowl, no, no, no matter what happens in between, no matter what the Russians are doing, because we always, we're always wondering that. What are they doing? I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If I were to ask you as a follower of Jesus, do you want Jesus to be with you always? I think, I think every single one of you would say, well, of course, of course I do. How do we know that Jesus is with us always? Make disciples. Spend the rest of your life going, hey, what are your spiritual beliefs? What kind of spiritual beliefs do you have? Well, you know, I kind of believe in this and believe in that. Could I just share with you for a couple minutes the most important thing in my life, the most important relationship in my life? Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And all of a sudden you just start talking about the most important thing in your life and that is your relationship with Jesus. So so what, what, what starts to happen is Jesus shows up in a powerful, potent way in that moment. Why? Because he promises us that. He's like, I will be with you, man. If you will spend your life teaching people how to be my disciple as you yourself are growing in that, I will be, it doesn't matter what the Chinese are doing. It doesn't matter what the Russians are doing. It doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter all, all that oh, crazy things come and go. It doesn't matter what earthquake is happening down the street or in South America. I will be with you in that. I will be right there in that. And so that brings us to this, every believer's calling, every believer's calling. So this is what you signed up for, you and me. If we believe and follow Jesus, this is what we signed up for. We're called to love God, love other people, and make disciples. I'm gonna say that again. Every believer's calling, show up at a church you can tolerate, sing some half-decent songs, hear a half-decent sermon, and get to La Coretta. Right? No. But what is our calling? It's to love God. With our emotions, our thoughts. I mean, that doesn't happen in a snap. It's a, it's a lifetime of taking up our cross and giving up more and more of the real estate of our mind to the transformation of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the people of God. It's to love other people. Man, what about people 
that are just hard to love. Well, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's hard people, right? People problems. And, and just like Jesus loved hard people, he's going to teach you how to love hard people. And, oh, by the way, and make disciples. The rest of your life, you and I are sitting across the coffee table or in the coffee shop or in the break room and we're telling people how much God loves them. And let me tell you about Jesus. Now, the work that we're doing, and this is big, the work that we're doing now is an opportunity for us to live out our calling. The work, okay? Our, our job, our labor, the workplace. The place where you and I spend most of our waking hours during a week is one of the greatest places for us to love God by loving people and making disciples. What would happen? What would happen if a local church in some obscure little bedroom community of a mid-sized town in central Virginia, what would happen if we got a hold of this? I think this. I love and I think we need big moment revivals like Asbury and things like that. I do. I think, I think collective repentance and I think an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in, in a place, in a space is, is, is good. But let me tell you where it's mostly going to happen. It's going to happen at 7.30 or 8.30 on Monday when you show up. And who you show up to be for the people you show up to be. The greatest place that you will change the world is where you go to work. It's where you go to work and how you show up there. Oh, I got, a, I got an amen from somebody. I got an amen. I, I just met a couple during that time, Tyler. And I, I met a young man named Donovan. He works at Century. He, is, um, he works at, a, at a, a light manufacturing. And, and I think how many, how many of you when you ask that question, hey, what do you do? What's your name? What do you do? Heard a similar story and met a similar person. And see, what, what we've done typically as the church over the centuries is we've sort of compartmentalized. I go to church in a building, right? And, and this is what I do here. And then I, and then I leave there and, and, then I, and then that's the rest of my life. In reality, all we do here is celebrate what God has been doing the other six days of the week. That's what we do. And we get refocused on it because we need it, because we forget. We hear stories like we just heard in, in that video. Oh, yeah, that's, what, that's why we do this. That's why I serve in my church. So that we can get recalibrated, re-envisioned to go out there and make disciples love God and love people. Now, there's three ways that we take on a theology of work that are bad theology. And so, so I want to I look at them real quick because you might be able to do it. First, we see our job as it doesn't matter. Our job doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's boring, it's unfulfilling, it's, it, it pays the bills. 
You know, I, 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 I show up, I do it, and yeah, people know that I'm a Christian, you know, because every now and then they'll see that little bumper sticker when I show up at the office, but I don't really wear that on my sleeve uh, because my job really doesn't matter. And, and that is an attitude that we show up with, and that attitude conveys, right? The people who say, oh, wow, Mike's here. Mike's here to, to do his job, and I think Mike is a Christian, but man, he's like the chief complainer. Like he's always complaining about management. Yeah, if they just let me, if they just let you what? Well, you know, no, I don't. Man, I don't know why they're asking us to, you know, work overtime and, you know. The only Christian I know at work is the biggest complainer at work. Why? Because the attitude is our jobs don't matter. They're a means to an end. The other, other idea is this. Our jobs and our faith are separate. I got my job. I got my small business. I got this thing that I do over here. And I run it this way. I run it rather shrewdly, in fact. I, I, I am, you know, I, when it comes down to negotiating, I'm going to make sure that, that I get the best deal out of people. Oh, and then there's my faith. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Right? But then I'm negotiating contracts like a narcissist. Why? Because my job and my faith are separate. And that's where some of us are. We don't put these two together. Oh, well, maybe actually if I negotiate contracts and fulfill them sacrificially and with the best interest of another person, that Jesus would be with me in that. And that I wouldn't have to scrap and fight for a piece of the pie when he said, there's enough pie for everyone. I fed 5,000 people with loaves and fish. Come on. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love people. And that's one of the ways you're going to love God and make disciples. But you can't make disciples if you're the biggest jerk on the job. Right? Attitude and reputation matters. And some of you are really quiet right now because you know that guy. You know that guy at work who comes in with his big black family Bible with the crest on it. And he opens it up and he's got his family tree and it goes back from 18 generations. And he's always preaching at people in the break room. And he's always talking about, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. And again, I don't know what that even means. Our job and our faith are separate. Really? The other one is this, and this is a little bit of a, of a shift, but, but think about it. It's, and this is, our job is awesome. Man, I love what I get to do. Oh, man, I can't believe I get to do this. We started this company with $2 and a, and, and a, and a coffee table. And here we are, we're running, you know, fill in the blank. Our job is awesome. But it doesn't change the world. I mean, come on, at the end of the day, we're just doing this, right? We're just making widgets. 
My, my, my job doesn't really change the world, but I love it. I love it, man. You get me talking about that thing that we do Monday through Friday or on the weekends, and man, I can't stop telling you how amazing it is. And I can't, man, I'm just so fired up about it. And does it really change? Does it make a difference in the kingdom? No, not really. I don't think it does, but man, I love it. All of these would be bad theology of work. And, and here's the problem, and, and we want to solve this, okay? A flawed theology towards work, and when I say work, I mean also job and labor, will squander our joy and calling on the job. Let me say that again. A flawed theology, a flawed theology, my job doesn't matter. A flawed theology, my faith and my job or my work are completely separate. A flawed theology, I love what I get to do, but it doesn't make a difference in the kingdom of God. A flawed theology towards work will squander. What does that mean, squander? It means there's opportunity on the table that we leave. Nope, I don't want that. It'll squander what? Our joy. There is joy to be had. There's joy to be had. And not only that, there's a calling right there in the place that you and I spend most of our waking hours. So how do we solve this? We go right back to how Jesus describes the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 25, go there with me. Go there with me. So uh, Monday evening, my family in the living room and we're all sitting around and my wife says to me, hey, I have this, um, this pain in my arm. Would you rub my arm for me? And it's about 9.15. So if you know anything about me, at 9 o'clock, it doesn't matter what's happening. At 9 o'clock, I'm going to bed. Okay, I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. Or at least you're going to know I want to go to bed. Okay? My small group knows this about me. We could be, we could be, the Shekiah glory of God could be falling down at 8.59 p.m. as we're praying over each other and we're exercising spiritual gifts and maturity and mission. At 9 o'clock, I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit's gone. I'm done. <laughs> right, I'm just kidding. Okay? It's 9.15. We're all talking. She wants me to rub this sore out of her arm. And so I said, um, <sighs> okay, yeah, all right. So I sit down on the couch where she is and I kind of half-heartedly, you know, rub, rub her forearm and, for like 90 seconds. I'm like, okay. She's like, like really, like, could you, could you keep doing it? Like, it's, it's really, it's like, I just really need you to, this sore out of I'm like, <sighs> I'm really tired. Like, I really want to go to bed right now. She's like, I know, but just, just like two minutes. Can you just two minutes? And I'm like, like another like 15 seconds. I'm like, all right, I got to go to bed. Okay. So, so I'm like, hey, uh, good night, everybody. Love you guys. You know, 
so I go to bed. I, I wake up the next day, and uh, I'm kind of upset, okay? And, and guys, I'm not the hero of this story, so I just want you to know that, okay? I'm kind of upset because I felt like I had given her what she asked for, and she seemed a little ungrateful, if I'm honest. <laughs> you, you guys know what I'm talking about? When somebody's like, hey, can you help me out here? Yeah, sure, I'll help you. Yeah, I'll help you move. And the whole time it's like, oh, why, do you, why do you have so many couches? <laughs> what, what the heck, man? Like there's kids dying in Africa and you've got five couches. You hate children. <laughs> right? Like we make these leaves, right? And, and, and at the end of the day, you know, you drive, you, you drive away from that. It's like, don't ever ask him to help again, right? There's just this sense that I got that she was not grateful for the, you know, 75 seconds of help that I gave her. So it, it, starts, to, it starts to fester and, and, and finally she, she kind of she gives me an open door. Yeah, you ever get one of these open doors where it's just like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think about, um, about the situation. I just feel like you uh, felt a little entitled and a little ungrateful. And she's like, oh, okay. And this opens up a whole discussion about how we show up to help. See, our attitude is almost, if not more important than the actual act or the actual help or the actual service or the actual work. And Jesus talks about this when he tells a story of the kingdom of heaven, which by the way, I did have to apologize for my attitude and um, I'll let her tell the rest of that story if you guys want to hear how that ends. Matthew chapter 25. Again, so what does that mean? He's already in a sequence of stories. So he's, he's talking about what the kingdom of God is like. What life loving God with our heart, soul, mind, strength and loving other people actually looks like. He says, this is what it looks like. And he tells a story. He tells another story. And he tells this story. He says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, if you've grown up in church, you know this parable. It's the parable of the talents. And you're tempted to go, I know how this ends. Let me make a grocery list. Hold on, hold on, okay, next verse. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Wait a minute, that's not, oh guys, I'm gonna give you another chance. That's not, one more time, from the depths, y'all, from the depths. That's not fair. It's not. 
It's not. It's not fair. Okay? Dividing it in portions to their abilities. Okay? In this message or in this series, you're going to see something called capacity. What a person can handle based upon their wiring and what their track record is. Okay? He then left on his trip. So what happens? Uh, the two that he gave, uh, um, he gave, um, he gave five bags to one, two bags. These two actually double theirs. Um, the one that he gave one bag to, according to his ability, actually buries it. Buries it. He doesn't do anything with it. He, does, he doesn't even go out and put it in the bank or anything. And so, so what does it say? Verse 23, it says that the master comes back and, and he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant to the ones who doubled theirs. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. I gave you five and you doubled it. I gave you two and you doubled it. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. I will trust you with more because you took what I gave you and you went to work with it. And you went to work and you doubled it. Now, this is something that we often miss. And, and, and this is why I said, if you've heard this story before and you kind of know how it ends, you would gloss past this and totally miss it and totally miss everything that, that you need to see today. And that is the master represents God. We, of course, represent the, the ones who were given talents according to our ability or according to his trust and according to our capacity. And these two doubled theirs by going to work. What does the master do? He says, let's celebrate together. I want to throw a party because you took what I gave you and you stewarded it. You went to work with it. You, you took what I gave you, the calling that I put on your life, and you spent the time that I was away putting it to work and making a difference and multiplying it, multiplying it. Now, what happens? He addresses the one who squandered, okay? Verse 26. Then the master replied to the one who buried it, you wicked and lazy servant. Wow. If you knew I had harvested crops and didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why? Why didn't you just do this? Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten interest on it. At least do something. At least, it, it, like, it, it doesn't have to be harrowing. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know, grossly uncomfortable for you, but at least do something. Then, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. What do we see here? We see, despite what our culture idealistically would want, that God has wired the universe for stewardship, responsibility and reaping and sowing. 
What does that mean? That means if we steward the trust and the opportunity that God has given us with this life and we invest it and multiply it, then he will trust us with more responsibility. And guess what? He will celebrate with us. What does that mean? We will have great joy and favor. We will have great purpose and fulfillment. If we squander it though, if we squander it, what happens? Let's, let's bring this home. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. I wanna be that church. I don't know about you. I wanna hang out with people who believe and follow Jesus and say, man, how can we in this next season love God, love people and make more disciples? How can we do that? Wow, show up at work and, and be the most diligent, hardworking, great attitude employee or business owner or manager or owner. Earn from the people respect and, and honor so much so that they would say, what is it about you that's so different? Hey, uh, let me tell you, I follow Jesus. Man, if following Jesus transforms you into that kind of human being, I'm interested. But if we go to work like this, all right, well, all right. I mean, you know, if they just let me be in charge, but here, let me, let me bury this thing in the soil and, you know, just do that. And, you know, I mean, yeah, oh yeah, figures, it figures. He got the raise, figures, yeah. I know there is a cosmic conspiracy. There's a hierarchy that's keeping me down. And I'm gonna tell you about it. And I'm gonna complain about it. And, and I'm gonna let you, and, and oh yeah, by the way, Jesus loves you. Oh, okay. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Man. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thank you to those who give to Waymaker Church. It is because of you that our ministry is possible. Visit waymaker.church to give now. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Now go make a way.